So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Riding Rugby Podcast. Big episode for us today. Obviously, the first blood is low to talk about. First game of the Rugby Championship, uh, Australia versus the All Blacks, as well as South Africa versus Argentina, I mentioned briefly. Uh, we'll get into a bit of the other rugby news around the world, as well as the NRC that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But blood is low one. Felt it was hyped a lot, like this is going to be a different year, but... Felt like a bit of the same again back in Sydney, All Blacks, Australia. Uh, Leon Toby are here with me today. How do you feel about that weekend, boys? Yeah, disappointed. Really, really not not the 80-minute performance we needed and wanted and, and maybe symptomatic of, of what we've seen in Super Rugby still where there's definitely a class gap there. And I think the um I think the guys will be be pretty pretty stung from a from a bad home loss and now they've got to go to Eden Park, so nothing gets easier, does it? Yeah, it just comes down, I think, to those little lapses in concentration at the wrong times, and we, we continually talk about that, particularly when you're playing teams like New Zealand or the Crusaders at Super Rugby level, just letting in tries each side of half time, and it just kills you. Um, you know, we were the Wallabies were defending pretty well there for that first half and making some pretty good inroads into disrupting the All Blacks, but... They couldn't keep it going, and just that that lapse in concentration led to that try that just you know swung the momentum so massively. Yeah, well, of course it was six five at half time. Obviously, as Toby mentioned, them getting that late try um, after missing a penalty goal that we'd sort of frustrated them into taking. Uh, we obviously let that in, and then second half they scored five tries to one and take this away thirty eight thirteen. Is there something about our approach that we need to change when we're versing a team like this? Like, we, we took two penalties early. You have Michael Hooper coming up to Yako Piper saying, oh, look what we're having to do. This is two opportunities we've had to score tries and now we're having to take the points. Whereas we see the All Blacks obviously just keep going for the corner. Hooper, like, Hooper was frustrated. I can understand what he's saying in terms of, you know, they're disrupting our ball we're clearly on the attack and we just keep getting the ball killed from under us. But I'd have another go, have a third go, have a fourth go, like keep pressing, take the scrum, don't take the three. You know, the line out wasn't falling apart at that stage yet. I just think we needed to be more aggressive. Yeah. I don't mind the trying to sort of manage that situation, but I think he probably played that card, maybe one penalty too early. Like I felt like there hadn't been the constant, constant Mm. infringements. Like if, if you're going to try and build that impression in the referee's mind, you probably need more than a couple of examples. And and I agree, we should have probably kept trying to have our advantage. We've seen to have them contained in, in the first 35 minutes. And I I was waiting for the commentators to bring up when the last time the All Blacks were held to nil in a first half. They didn't in the end, but I reckon it's probably been a while. You, I you couldn't want remember to, the last time, yeah. Like yeah, that's, yeah, that I, was massive, and we just that, gave that was an away. opportunity, and and it was it was a it was a weak sort of 
laps that that let that try in, and it is it is disappointing to take three. But I guess the, they feel the pressure. They want to get some points on the board. They feel like they're they're getting back down into that half. They can keep coming back. Uh, maybe make the All Blacks push a bit too hard and overextend themselves while being six points out in front. They make them chase, but then they do and they score. Mm. It wasn't the conditions to play like that either. I think six points is is nothing against the All Blacks. You need thirty. Um, we just we weren't taking those opportunities when we had them. We needed to really go for the throat early and get a lead. We just didn't get a big enough lead. And then who knows if we kept them to zero to, at half time, maybe the second half would have played out a little bit differently. But we again we just failed to do that. There was a minute and a half left, and we let that try in. Yeah, it's what I've been talking about uh, earlier this year with the Crusaders, and it probably seems a bit um, replicated with the All Blacks. It's that playing for the full sort of time that they have, not sort of letting go in those last couple of minutes. And that's why the All Blacks, similar to the Crusaders, score a lot of points in that final sort of five minutes before the half because teams relax about this. Now, you mentioned the the scrum and you mentioned the line-out. Obviously, the line-out was a big sort of talking point here. Wallabies losing eight line-out throws in this game. It just looked like Sam Whitelock, Brody Vitalik just had our measure. Like, do you think it's a problem with the throws? Is it a problem with the jumpers? Is it both? How are we going to fix that? I mean, initially our timing throw at a jumper was was a bit off. We weren't really nailing that that throw uh, straight to the man and, and at the at the peak of his jump. So if we're if we're telegraphing it a bit and our jumpers going up a bit early. Well, that just means the All Blacks can chase that jumper up, and by the time they get there, the ball still hasn't arrived, so they're in the contest. So that timing aspect needs to be really, really neat and, and tidy, and I don't think it was. And I, it's another one I wonder if they play close enough to the edge of the law. There were a number of All Blacks throws that, to me, looked fairly not straight. Like to me, to me, when the guy goes up, when a jumper goes up, if he's catching the ball on his own sort of center line or toward the other team into the gap, then it's kind of allowable. But anytime they have to reach outside their own sort of shoulder width or off one side on the outside, that that to me just says not straight. It, that basically means you can use your body to, to protect the, the throw from the other team. And that happened three or four times, wasn't pulled up. I don't really get it why, you know, there were, there were guys like Coleman, I think, was struggling a bit. But then Rodder was winning... Defensive lineouts, which oh, it's a bit confusing. Two. I think he won two, two in yeah. a row maybe. But you know, I think previously our lineouts been relatively solid in the last year or so. Mm. So I don't know why it's really come unstuck now. And maybe it does have something to do with Pilot now coming back and having limited preparation. I know he's around for a couple of weeks, um, and that's not really an excuse for someone that's so experienced. But Tolu Latu is not necessarily a renowned line-out thrower. Yeah, it didn't um, improve so with I think him really either. He, he was much worse, um, and he obviously was in there in the second half where there's a lot more pressure with the, the All Blacks getting some more momentum. And I think once he dropped one or two in a row, like it just it just went pear-shaped. So I think it, it's a combination of factors. We didn't seem to use Tui really well in the line-out, which was surprising. We went to guys like Hooper at the front who just lost it automatically. Um, and I just think we didn't have the variety to to keep the All Blacks guessing at all. They just seem to work out and read our throws really easily. So 
there's a lot to work out there, I think, and not to focus too much on the lineout, but that was pretty abysmal. There was one comment made in the commentary that the the All Blacks were picking off the quick lineout because it kept going to the same place. So when they when they came up quickly and tried to go go at speed, it almost always was the throw to Rodder up the front. And when they're a bit more relaxed walking up and there was a bit more jostling and shuffling, it still kind of always ended up into the middle back, which didn't they didn't seem to go that way as often. So maybe they'd just done their homework. Like they they might have might have seen some of that in that trial game. I think the, the line outs were a little bit quicker in that game. The the Anthony was up. So maybe maybe they've just picked that up and as soon as they've nailed it once or twice they've gone, yep, we've definitely understood their plays, we'll we'll keep going this same way. I mean you've got You've got Liam Squire, Brody Ritalik, and Sam Whitelock, all excellent at lineup time, excellent in the air. I don't know. I don't know how much we can change that during the week. I think we can just be maybe at least winning 50%. I'm not sure it'll be any better than that. You think the best we can do is winning 50% of our own throw? Yeah, probably. I think it's going to be 50 to 60% we'll be winning our lineup. And whether they're stealing it or it's just going a bit astray, I don't think it's really going to go anywhere near. 80-90% winning our own throw. Can't see it changing that much during the week. And I, I'm not even sure they won't disrupt the line out a little bit more and bring in someone like Rory Arnold, which I'm not sure that's going to make a big difference, even though he's a little bit taller. I don't think he's any better, really, than Rodder and, and Coleman. Yeah, well, they I've seen people mention bringing in people like Simmons because he's renowned line-out sort of skills and things. But in my head, Coleman and Rodder are both very competent in that and we've seen the work around the rest of the field i'd i'd prefer to see them look to work on that themselves rather than try to bring in someone new yeah the worst thing you can do is disrupt it again yeah i think yeah to form those combinations um going forward and obviously that seems like maybe that's what the problem was in the scrum there was a bit of disruption obviously co wasn't able to be selected in this game so tom robinson starting at loose head you have a new hooker in Tatafupalon now, and then you also lose Tong and Thor coming on in the second half. And between that, that being weak and then losing lineouts, it really felt like every stoppage of play was just giving the ball back to the All Blacks. And there were a lot of stoppages because the there was a bit of a handling error issue for both sides. They were both pressuring each other hard in defence, and the ball was getting coughed up. And when we go into the first couple of scrums and. To me, in in one of those early scrums, we saw Franks lose his footing and go flat down, and Robertson drop accordingly, and then we get penalised. It's on the opposite side to the umpire, the referee, and you know that's it sets a bad tone. Like, it doesn't seem like Tom Robertson has a great reputation, and if he if he goes down like that early and they they come up with a decision like that, then you you feel like you're always going to lose when it's 50-50. And then the All Blacks probably, you know, find ways to manipulate that too. I'm sure there's ways to bring down a scrum, make it look a little bit 50-50, and hopefully you just keep the run of penalties going. It makes life pretty easy for an experienced prop like like Franks. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's something we overlooked. Tom Robertson has barely started at level on a consistent basis, and I think that's actually... We were were confident in his abilities because he's been playing well for the Waratahs, but stepping up at an international level... Where you're playing big minutes straight off the bat, I think is is pretty tough on him. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think he was necessarily that bad in the scrum. And like you say, Lee, I think maybe, yeah, someone like Yako Piper 
isn't used to to having Tom Robertson on the international stage probably. And when you've got some of the most experienced props to the Orcs, um, you know, and Franks and Joe Moody, you can see why the decisions go their way. So I don't know. It's it's a combination of things. I think in the forwards, like we started well, we just couldn't keep it up and are missing 40 tackles. It's just you can't win a game by missing that many tackles as well. They must Most of them must have been in the second half though because I think we were pretty – pretty good in the first half at least i'd like to see the breakdown in in that but um yeah i was impressed starting off the game the uh the thing i think we missed out on the first half is going to be a bit of a whinge i suppose we i want to i want to talk about that spear tackle naholo put on falau just briefly because we we talked about it a little bit before we thought maybe falau sort of leapt forward or twisted his body in a way in the tackle but made it look like he kind of assisted Naholo getting into that position. I don't. I, there's something funny about the way it looks, but I I don't think that we can really rule out, um, like just just say, rule it out because Falau did something fairly minor. Like Naholo's still got to grab and lift him, and the the preset from Super Rugby from the June tests all the way through to the grand final of Super has been that that sort of tackle was a yellow card without even really questioning if there was any suggestion that the player was reckless and, and drove the player into the ground, then it would be worse to be red. And I think we got a penalty, but like there wasn't even a conversation to follow that up to say, you know, this is that that's reckless or, you know, I'm not going to card you, but or it just sort of went, oh, it's just a penalty. It's just a penalty. Falau's braced himself. He isn't hurt. He gets up. But that's five minutes into a game. But that's the sort of thing where where that's an All Blacks mistake. It's a fairly big mistake. It's not a I threw an intercept pass or I missed a tackle on the try line. But it's still a significant mistake. And the Wallabies, own, you know, just statistically, you get some of those in a game. And if the referee doesn't make a call, and under the rules, I think that probably should have been a yellow card. Wallabies gonna gonna play out ten minutes in the, in the start of the game. Get the All Blacks under a lot of pressure. How many penalties end up being try? Well, we wouldn't have taken the three in those scenarios because we would have had a, a one-man advantage. And, yeah, you're right. It would have changed the way that we approach the game. So those things are important. Consistency is important. It shouldn't be overlooked. I think in the past, you know, we've seen penalties like that not given or yellow cards like that not given. But in the last year or two at least, they've cut. They've really, really focused on that and made it a point that, look, you go above the horizontal you're done. You're off for 10 minutes at the very least. And there was just no consistency there. It was far above the horizontal. You know, it wasn't, a, you know, a really aggressive tackle, but it was still enough, I think, for yellow. And, look, they need to sort that out at the start of this championship because we can't see toing and throwing with this. It needs to be very consistent um, because it they, they change games, these decisions, like massively. You need to get more in your favour than just one decision. Um, to change a game, but but it's early stuff like that, and I think you think about the the Wallabies mentality, the players are thinking, when are we going to catch a break? Like you, you work really hard, things well, and you're supposed to get a a night, you know, a freebie like that, which gives you a real great opportunity, and then you don't get it, and you just think, what what have we done? This, why, don't, why don't we get these decisions? This is this is the problem with that mentality. We don't deserve it at this stage. We haven't earned the right to get those decisions perhaps to even go our way. We, like, we, we can't rely on that. I know that it, 
it is important. The referees need to do their job, but we need to have an attitude. Look, if we don't get those kind of calls go our way, we have to push even harder. I think at the moment we're a little bit fragile. We complain a little bit. Hooper shouldn't have complained early on in the game like he did. Yeah. Um, and we need I, to I just be a little I, bit more aggressive. I think we are a bit fragile, and I think the um, you, you look at the way that all the the Crusaders back to that Super Final, like what what how fragile is their mentality when they go? You know what we're going to do to the lines when they go up for a line out and then bring it down to try and maul it. We're just going to break them. We're just going to punch straight through, blow them away, and we're going to take their best weapon away. And they're going to go. What do we do? Do we keep going with saying that's completely not working, but is our is our biggest firepower, or do we change our plan, which we haven't prepared? Like you, that's a huge shake-up to a team who are mentally very strong. But the Wallies aren't that strong, so we get we get shaken pretty easily. We also not don't seem to be mentally strong enough to believe that we can really shake up the All Blacks. They just seem bulletproof. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. It really is. Um, I think we made a really good crack of it though early on, but we just yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it was just those those couple of tries threw us off and. Then we tried to press a little bit harder and attack, and we were Which dropping the ball at, at poor times. And we scored one try in the game. It's just not, it's not good enough. I, I don't really know what else to say. Um, Arch, what do you think? Like, what was your biggest takeaway from the game overall? I was just trying to think and go back to sort of the things that I think worked in that game. And look, I think Hodge, the Hodge at thirteen. There were a lot of improvements with that. There was a lot of good things to see. I still want to see him getting back in the pocket and helping to clear a lot from our own quarter. He did it once where he was set up yeah. in the in goal and kicked it out, out to the 40 with a good clearance, which was better than most of the clearances Foley was doing. So I think we yeah. can definitely use him more in that regard. Other sort of positives you saw, I think Kurtley again was playing well. Um... From the forwards, Tui started a bit poorly, but with a few loose carries, but then was actually making meters with a lot of his runs, which was more than I can say for a lot of the other forwards hitting it up. Other than that, though, there's not a huge amount of people I could say in the starting lineup, but I think potentially Maddox coming on showed a little bit, was involved in a couple of sort of plays, getting offloads, and again, scored that try, was there in the right place to score the try. And so, I mean, the thing we probably need to talk about now is Falau. He's injured himself. He's out of the next game for sure. We need a new fullback for the Wallabies. Yeah, and this this is where it gets a little bit interesting because people automatically are talking about, oh, I think Dane Hallett-Petty should go straight back there. He's put his hand up straight away. Look, I'm not even so sure that Dane Hallett-Petty deserves to keep his spot after that performance. And he got taken off straight away when he dropped that ball in midfield. It really was a key point in the game. Um, I would love to see Tom Banks come in as a specialist fullback and really give him a go. But equally, I think Jack Maddox could do the job as well. Um, It's whether you just go conservative like we're probably likely to do and you put DHP back there and then then Maddox just goes onto his wing. That's, yeah, that that is... Uh, I suppose a small change relative to bringing in a debut fullback in a, you know, the, ultimately the now sudden death situation that is the second Bledisloe, like you lose and that's it for another year. Um, I think it'd be brave, but uh, look, I wouldn't complain. 
at this stage, it's it's going to be a tough ask anyway. I agree that Haylett Petty hasn't looked super comfortable. He just just doesn't quite look uh, fired up. He looks he looks, looks like he's slow. trying to control. Looks a bit- Looks uh, old. He looks like he's trying to control and and just and just make sure that he doesn't do anything sort of really risky. He's trying to just hit it up, hit it up solid, um, control the ball, support support his inside man. Like he's not he's not really doing anything exciting. He's just trying not to make an error. But that's probably too too conservative an approach for the All Blacks, which it I is. think what you're saying that he that he's that he's holding back. You put him at fullback. I mean, how many times is he going to put up the bomb and chase it through, or is he just going to kick for territories? What's his mindset? Maddox, Maddox might be a bit more sort of active and maybe be, take a few more risks. And um, is that what you want? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he did look very good in that game. I admit, Maddox was the, one of the shining lights, as Archie said. He was a really positive player, injected himself all over the place, got as much ball as possible, brought a lot of energy in. After he scored that try, we were within two converted tries, mm. and then we had that maul right, right in like the 69th minute, um, or the, like in the last 15 minutes or so, and and somehow the All Blacks managed to bring down our maul by swimming up the side right in front of the ref. So thanks, Jacko Piper. But like we were there, and we we had a chance, and it's guys like Maddox that um, I feel like they would break that open. So I definitely don't want to see him sort of left out, but. Maybe they bring Banks in. I wouldn't. One thing I definitely wouldn't want them to to do is to move someone like Beal back and put Tamur in. I think that then just disjoints your the back line you've been trying to build. Um, unfortunately, that means a good player like Matt Tamur stays on the bench. But I just think it's too much disruption for that game. I think that I think you're right. I think the most likely thing is DHP goes back and someone like Maddox lands on the wing. Well, it's almost like that is the everyone probably agrees that's probably the safest way to do it not putting this inexperienced person at fullback up against the All Blacks. But Czech has got to be feeling a little bit of the heat at the moment and feel like he might need to do something. There's been a lot of people talking about this. I was getting messages on Saturday night being saying, do you think Czech is going to keep his job now with sort of that performance? I think he might be feeling the heat and he might get pushed to actually do something a little bit more radical with a, a bit, with a sort of view to spark this team with a bit of, um, I don't know, young sort of energy to it, and whether that is Maddox, whether that is Banks for this game. I think I think you need to do it. If you look at Naholo and Rico Yuani on both wings for the All Blacks, we need to be able to match that. And at the moment with DHP there, I, I don't see it happening. I know that he's got, you know, some pretty good def- like defensive... Um, some prowess to his game in that way, and that's good at defending, but he's not a game-breaker. Someone like Tom Banks is a game-breaker. He'll take the game from the opposition. You saw him do it late in the season in Super Rugby. He's just capable of scoring from anywhere. He's he's just such a quick player, similar to Maddox in that way, that he can just kind of take the game away from you at an instant. Um, and, look, I think we need to be a bit more risky in our approach here. I don't think that playing... A defensive game at Eden Park is is the way to go. I think we need these guys that can really bring the killer blows to to the All Blacks. How how excited would you be if they put probably to the bench? So Banks goes to the wing and Banks goes to fullback. They make those two changes. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. Are you saying we should drop the DHP and start Maddox and Banks? 
Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I'm suggesting, yes. You'd be like, whoa, those guys are really awesome. They're getting a chance. Anything could happen when they combine. I mean, they're different, they're different franchises, but they've, they've probably had some time to bond now. And exactly what you're saying, Toby, they're both like breakout kind of players, guys who will uh, pop up, you know, as, as an inside baller in support and, and, you know, offload and run really hard, be there as a supporting player cycle around like they're they're huge energy they're there to prove themselves and they've obviously got oodles of talent so yeah i mean that could be i'd definitely be i wouldn't i wouldn't be um tuning out because i saw that i'd definitely be more likely to you know watch more closely i think look dhp i'm not sure he's going to be there for the world cup next year i I don't don't know if i want him in the team i think marika korobiti's got a, a long-term future in that wing position. I don't think necessarily we found that other guy that we're, in terms of an attacking sense, that we're really, really confident in. I think DHP has a really well-rounded game. And I think versus Ireland, to be fair, is probably one of our best backs. Yeah. Um, but against the All Blacks, look, I think we need to do something different here. I think we need to just be a bit risky, be a bit more aggressive. And like we've talked about, these are two guys that can do the job for us on the night. If if they perform well, this could really form a, an exciting combination going forward, even when Falau does come back. And a small difference is that you're, you're getting toward putting more specialist players into their position. So I know Max kind of does a few things, uh, but Banks is an out-and-out fullback. Falau, they sort of think, oh, maybe, well, maybe he's better on the wing. You know, he has played outside centre. Maybe we could do something there. We keep we keep thinking too much about well what if this person goes down well what if we have to make a change and do this well we need a bit of utility factor in it oh having Hodge in the starting lineups great and you're thinking oh because he can play almost every position you want you want him there because of his boot and because of his defence really that's what you want and and hard running and that he can do that at 13 but but Banks is a fullback like he's pure fullback if you get the most out of him you've got an awesome fullback. And I, th- I feel like the All Blacks probably think along those lines too. Like someone like Bowden Barrett's got some flexibility. That's sort of just inherent in a number 10. But everyone else is a specialist. Like, okay, we know only good on the wing. Put him at 12 and any team he's going to lose. Naholo is only a winger. Like, I can't even kick. I haven't seen Rico Iwani kick. I don't think he's particularly great off the, off the boot. A little so, up and under is, but they're, yeah. They're yeah, not, and then good Goodhue is, is an outside center. Crotty is a centre as well, like inside, outside, but primarily inside. Like, they have specialist guys. They're not thinking, oh, we need to have eye for every situation. If guy gets injured, what do we do? This guy gets injured, what do we do? This has been this has been talked about for years with the Wallabies that we're sticking guys on the wing just to get them in the team when they're not true yeah. wingers. I think yeah. that, look, we, what we don't want to do here is we, we don't want to move Reese Hodge. I think he had a good performance at 13. I think that's something yeah. we can build yeah. around there. He didn't make too many mistakes, and he he seemed to be you know pretty much everywhere around the field. Um, I think he was pretty tired by the end of the game, but you can understand that. Um, one thing I wouldn't be doing either would be putting Jack Maddox at fullback. Um, I, I don't think that would be a wise decision. But Tom Banks, like we've said, he's he's built to play there. I think give him a go. The other the other thing, and moving back into the forwards, like we're still shifting people around. You see Tui uh, into scrums. Uh, he was in number eight. In defence, so Pocock and Hooper have the have the flanks uh, when the All Blacks are getting the ball, and then when Wits our ball, T 
typically wasn't every time, but most of the time Pocock was at number eight. Again, we're moving guys around. We're thinking, oh, we'll, we'll play off this guy's attributes on this situation. We'll switch at this one. And to me, that just feels like we're, we're mixing messages as well. Like give a guy a job, develop him in one role. And if you don't think you've got the right skill set in one in one position, then maybe you look at a different player and not try and share that role between two players or share two well, roles between two players. Like it's, it does, it, to me, to me, I, I don't think that's that functional. I think it's just. Well, then it, you're talking taking, about probably leaving Hooper out on that basis because. No, Hooper's is the only one, one in that back row who plays in the same spot. I'm well, talking about, talking you've about got Pocock Dave, and You've got Tuga. David Pocock playing out of position because he has to compensate Hooper. And I think, look, Pocock was pretty good as well. He was trying to get to every ruck. He yeah, was actually Pocock nearly was... effective. Mm. He was over yeah. the ball a lot. And, like, maybe he didn't make – did he make any steals? Maybe one. Oh, they, they, they always try and nullify him pretty quickly. He was all over it. Yeah. And I was yeah. really impressed. And with made 20, um, I think 20 tackles, still... I think, eight more than the second yeah. most in the team and things yeah. like – exactly. He's, Hooper's, he's Hooper's developing into a number eight. But you're not going to put any more size on him or speed on him. So that just means that the number six has to be the biggest, bulkiest ball runner, but also a second row backup to it or a line-out jumper in, in that sense. So that, that forces you into think, a number six. I don't think he is a number eight. I don't think he really is developing in it, but I don't think you can leave him out either. I don't think his ball carrying is strong enough. Mm. Um, until he does show that he can do that, but he's so inconsistent at the moment. Like 10 minutes, he'll go crazy, and then you won't see him for another 30. Then he'll pop up again. And we had this problem with Caleb Tima when he came into the team. Like, you'd see him do a lot, and then he'd yeah. go missing. You need these guys that are consistent performers, and that's what we do have in Pocock and Hooper. But we need someone who's more of a traditional ball carrier that's a bigger frame who can slot in at either six or eight. At the moment, Checker sees Tui, who's primarily been a second rower, as a blindside flanker and he wants to develop him at, at that position. I don't know if he's showing enough at the moment, but I, I don't think you can change him yet. I think he needs another few games um, to get some time under his belt and get used to the system that he's playing in. Because he's still very young as well. You know, even know. Rodder as well is a very young guy. Oh, um, I persevere with these guys, though. I think it's the front row has been a bit of an issue for last game. If we can kind of sort out the line out a little bit, I think if we get CO back, it sounds like we might get Tong and Thor back. Maybe yeah. you start him if he's fit. Maybe you just throw him in there. And if things go wrong, bring Kepa on for 60 minutes, you know? But maybe it's the time to go full tilt, put CO in, put Tong and Thor in, probably keep TPN there at the moment. But I would keep the, the back five as is. Um, and make maybe one more, one or two changes to the back line. That's it. I think it's it's going to be a pretty similar team, but we need to we need to fix up. I think the front row because um, the scrums weren't right. Um, but the lineout, yeah, look, the lineout will improve, but I, I don't think it's going to be perfect yet. We're, yeah. we're still going to need time, and that's going to develop a, across the championship. Yeah, it's the thing that rugby fans always have short memories and we talked about like DHP not being happy with it that, that we were talking about in the Island series and all these players having good games previously. But now we've got what? We've got three games in a row the Wallabies have lost and alarm bells have got to start be ringing and people start wanting changes. And they it's it's hard to 
control that and not go too far with that because you do want to maintain some stability because wholesale changes are never going to just completely work within a week. But I think we will see some changes this week and I think I think you're right. That's probably the best places to do it. Front row and then within sort of that fullback wing spots. But let's wrap this up. I know we could keep talking about this for ages. Um, in terms of the All Blacks, obviously outstanding performances pretty much across the field. Unfortunately, Ryan Crotty suffered a quite a bad, looks like quite a bad uh, head knock and obviously concussed with that. Nice moment from David Pocock looking after him on the field. Who do we see coming into that 12 jersey for the All Blacks? So that's probably the only change we'll see in their lineup. Um, I see Nani Lamapi coming in um, purely as well because he'll have a good combination with Bowden Barrett. It does change the way that back line's going to play a little bit. Um, but in terms of a, a guy that has played 12 consistently, a pure 12, rather than putting Leonard Brown in at, at 12, I think you've got to go with Lamapi. Um, Jack Goodhue is very impressive at 13. Don't think you're going to see him shift to 12. Um, so that's the way I see them going. Just quickly, Enrico Iwani is also, I think, going to be ruled out. He's got, a, I think, an ankle and a hamstring or a hamstring issue. I'm not 100% sure, but I heard um, Steve Hansen say that in the press conference. So it's potentially, well, I think Crotty's definitely out and it looks like Iwani might be missing too. Mm. So another guy to think about for the wing spot, whether you put Ben Smith on the wing and then... You know, do you draft in Damian McKenzie at fullback? Or do you bring in some of these older heads like Israel Dagg? Or do you bring in Julian Sevier on the wing? Or, like, what do you do? There's They've got so many options there. I kind of forget a little bit who's in their squad. It might be... Is Milner Scudder fit at the moment? I, I lose track with him, but... Yeah. There's, there's a lot of guys that can fill that spot, so I don't think they'll be too worried about it. But like you guys have just brought up, I think 12 is the biggest... Um, danger area if they don't choose the right guy. Is there anyone else you think could slot in there? Obviously, he'd like to have Sonny Bill, but he's not, not yeah, going to be fit. Yeah, he'd probably that would, be, that would be a good yeah. choice as well. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, like, do we do we say Anton Leonard Brown? You, you're probably not going to put him in there to start. Like, that's he's on your bench, but um, yeah. not not really what you want to sort of not the combination you want there. You've got multiple different teams between Barrett to 12 to 13 in that situation. So, no, I think Lamarpi's probably a good choice. Um, he's pretty direct. The, the only, unless unless they think they can uh, do something really unusual, put put a, uh, another Barrett in the centres or I think, I think... Richie Moana at 12. Well, that's, that's what I was going to suggest. Like, could you, could you do two pivots? But he hasn't even really, he's not even in the 23... And I don't think uh, I can't remember Richie Moanga playing twelve, and that's that's starting to kind of, you know, what it's are we trying? To, what are they trying to do? The whole That'd be weird. Sort of that's changed dynamic. Like, dynamic, dynamic yeah. So I that's don't. Like yeah. Would do. yeah, that's, that's, that's a wallabies move. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving on. Other sort of news. Obviously, the other game in the rugby championship was South Africa Argentina. Um, South Africa running away winners in this thirty-four to twenty-one. Early, at least, the Pumas showed a little bit of fight, scored two early tries to be leading sort of almost into the, um, at half time at least. And then sort of uh, the Springboks ran in a few extra tries after half time. Not Andre Pollard, a rare kicking performance um, to be forgotten for him, missed quite a few. And so that allowed the Pumas to stay in touch. But 
you know, 34 to 21, closer, probably better performance than we've seen for the Pumas. Now under, obviously, Ledesma. Hopefully that's setting a little bit of a change, but maybe maybe a little bit of risk coming into the next week's game in South America and Argentina for the Springboks. Yeah, that'll be that'll be tough now to travel all that way and, and play them at home, especially if they've managed to rattle you in a few spots. So it's funny the kicking kicking across the weekend wasn't wasn't that great. Even Bowden Barron was Bowden mm. Barrett was missing them. So um, the, the the Argentines we, we know they're 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 doing that their transition from Super to to international rugby. They didn't do that very well in the June series, but um, they've had a they've had a you know a fresh goal at this time and. They're keeping themselves in the game. The, the the big thing will be can they do do the same thing at home, get those couple of tries up early and really, really hold that energy for eighty minutes and not let the spring box back into it. Because spring box are another one who they're very they're very physical. They're they can be strong mentally when they're when they're on a roll. They just seem to just grow and grow and grow and become the tougher and tougher and tougher team, but they can become a bit fragile. When you expose a couple of their weaknesses and that a bad first half, you probably got to keep them contained in the first half, stifle them early, maybe first five ten minutes in the second half, and then people start going one out and trying to do more than they need to, and, and then you really should have them. Mm. Interestingly, um, Argentinian rugby has softened their policy they've brought in in the last two years of only having Argentina-based players, and actually brought in a few European-based players to help bolster a bit of experience in that squad. Um, so they've actually loosened that up a bit at the moment. Yeah, I think that's necessary as well. You're not in a situation where you can be stricter, like, say, the All Blacks and, and the Wallabies, where you, you just take domestic guys. Argentina only having one super rugby team, it's a little bit tough on them to only be pulling in stocks from that team and, and maybe some other, you know, from the... From the national competition there in Argentina, so I think it's it's smart of them to look a bit further abroad. Um, but these, I mean, this game probably just points out to me that the the All Blacks are going to win this rugby championship pretty comfortably. I I don't, I don't actually see them losing a game from here on in. Um, I think South Africa is still going through a bit of a transitional period, and we've seen with the Pumas they're they're a little bit fragile at the moment in terms of their mentality. Um, it looks like they've started relatively well, but. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really a one-horse race again this year. And then you might see some close games, I think, though, between Wallabies and, and South Africa. I think mm. that's going to be a pretty good tussle and pretty fair in terms of um, where each team is at, I think. Yeah, that will be interesting to see, especially with sort of the two draws coming last year between those teams in the Rugby Championship as well. Um, other, mm-hmm. other news we had... Uh, the second last spot for the Rugby World Cup next year being decided. Um, there was a game between Namibia and Kenya this last week. Uh, and Namibia coming out victors and taking the second last spot in the Rugby World Cup. They join New Zealand, South Africa, Italy in Pool B. And with the final spot um, coming down to the repechage, which is now down to between Hong Kong, Canada, Germany and Kenya get another shot at that. Um, before we have our finalised sort of pools. Obviously not affecting Australia too much. We're down in Pool D with Wales, Georgia, Fiji and Uruguay. Good work, Namibia. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. Although, was was Namibia, I'm throwing back a fair while, but Namibia's had some pretty big score lines. They're probably not super excited about being in the same draw as the All Blacks. 
I think if you're looking back to like 2003, yeah, that's when we won like 128 to, to 10 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was big. 130. I or think something. Chris Latham scored five tries against Namibia back in 2003. Oh, how Those were the days, mate. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I know I probably said this before, but Tom Banks is a young Chris, Chris Latham. If you look at the way that they run, they've got that bit of that hunch. They've got the socks down. Um, you can see them throwing, each of them throwing in goose steps now and then. I think Banks is a little bit, little bit smaller frame than Latham, and maybe a little bit more sensible than Chris Latham. He was, he was one of the hardest guys to play the game in the back line, I think. But um, look, let's let's see what the Wallabies do. I just hope they take a risk with a guy like that because you just see back in the day, um, I think we'd throw guys in if they're in form. Um, I think now we're a little bit conservative maybe leading into this world cup so hopefully we can check it can be a little bit bold in these selections this week mm-hmm. all right let's move on and have a chat about the nrc and in 2018 we see a little bit of a change to the competition we've seen this over the last couple of years with teams sort of dropping out coming in we still maintain two teams out of queensland queensland country and brisbane city uh we still have melbourne rising we still have uh, Western Australian team, though the force have taken up that mantle and being called the Western Force. Uh, we still have the ACT Vikings and we still have the Fijian Drua. The big change is New South Wales have dropped down a team. We now have only two teams, the Sydney Rays uh, that are the main city team and then New South Wales Country Eagles. And so changed a little bit that we've dropped out a team. Uh, other than that, competition will look more or less similar. Seven rounds and some of the squads are starting to be released uh, at the moment. It's a bit of a worry, I think, with this competition. It seems to change every single year. Um, teams are changing names. They're changing areas that they represent. I think it was a massive shame to lose a team out of Western Sydney. I think that's a massive mistake, particularly after Penrith Rugby, Rugby Club folded just recently as well. So we're losing a bit more of that presence of, of rugby in, in Western Sydney, which I think we were trying to build up and and maybe entice some of those younger guys playing rugby league to come across and, and give rugby a, a go as well. So um, I don't know. that The NRC, it seems to be struggling a little bit for, for any sort of traction. Um, I think this is a very important year for it because you've got to imagine that, look, it's not going to be a premier rugby competition at any stage. I don't think it's going to be a competition to rival like the Curry Cup or anything like that, but... It's, a, it's an important competition to keep going for our, our player stocks coming through the Super Rugby system. Um, so I think we really need to nurture this well. And it's, yeah, it's just get looking a little bit fragile when teams are just dropping in and out and, and they keep changing. Um, I don't know. They just keep changing it in general and the public will just get confused. Yeah, I agree. I think it becomes really difficult to develop any sort of uh, history or connection with areas and and loyalty. supporters and 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 that loyalty. That's right. Like if if you throw back to the original NRC uh, years and years and years ago, you know it lasted one or two seasons or something, and then all of a sudden all the jerseys were were in the shops for for sale, like you know ten bucks for a for a Kirtley Beal jersey. But way back with the the Western Sydney team there, like. Then it comes back and then it changes. And it's a bit similar to Super Rugby. Uh, you know, things things in the sporting landscape between other sports and rugby union, do, things do change 
uh, can change dramatically at times, but the trends are sort of there to see that AFL is growing. I think rugby league is is sort of holding or maybe even shrinking a little. Football in soccer is growing. You can see where your big competition is. You can see what areas they're targeting, and they've all got five or ten-year plans. You need that vision up front to put the right structure in place and then say, right, this is the competition. We're going to resist the urge to throw extra teams in when we think we, we might be able to because that might be a short-term boon we're seeing and we, we'd, we'd rather the teams all be over-strength and a couple of people miss out than under-strength and it's just a weak competition that's not not competitive, no parity. I don't feel like they quite got that and, and they're still searching for that structure. And until they can just pick something and pick and stick, they're, they're just going to keep eroding the history. And it's kind of like the Waratahs playing previous years when they went to ANZ and Allianz and you never feel like they had true home ground advantage in history because half of their history against a team like the Crusaders or the or the Bulls when they were strong with the Storm, half of those games were taken A and Z and no one felt the connection and just you lose any of that history and, and loyalty you're trying to build. NRC's got a got a pick and stick and I think this is probably maybe maybe losing the Western Sydney team's no good, but again they've got to they've got to pick teams that they can field and make sure they've got enough quality players to make it a good competition maybe this is the right number at least they've got eight teams you know so there's not a team on by every week yeah that was no ridiculous round structures and it's, it's, you know, eight teams easy anyone can follow 18 competition because because we got new south wales country eagles which has been quite a strong franchise so far they tend to play around New South Wales and there may be one game in Sydney. And now you've only got the Rays in Sydney that are moving around from the you know, North Shore to Western Sydney. So you've really only got one you've only got one team based in Sydney full time and playing games with such a big population. And it's a similar case in Brisbane, which is another, you know, rugby heartland. So I think that's that's an issue. I think we need to address that. But it is good to see the Pacific Island influence still there and that hasn't collapsed. That's one positive. Um, and they bring an exciting brand of rugby and that's probably something to be built upon. Um, and, you know, like with the Force, I know they, what were they before? The, the, the Spirit, yeah. was it? Perth Spirit? Perth Spirit. It's a terrible name. I'm happy to see that go. But, I mean, the Force are kind of just playing where they can at the moment, trying to survive. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of World Series rugby next year um, with Twiggy Forest and how long that'll persevere for. But at the moment, you know, this squad of guys, they're kind of a bunch of misfits. They might do okay, though, because they've just kind of spent so much time together training and, and playing these odd games. So you've got to imagine that builds some sort of chemistry there and, and that might actually be enough to, to help them succeed in this competition. Yeah, absolutely. They They've got a good chance, and and they would really want to take take the opportunity to knock some of these East Coast teams around and and show that they've still got it. And really, if they if they're gonna try and give the impression that they're up to being a Super Rugby team again, everything to come in and look really unified and dominate the better teams in this NRC, um, show their class. Because if they if they just end up middle of the table, running the mill with everyone else, it's going to be very difficult to pose the argument that they're anything more than just an NRC team. Mm. And Brad Thorne's outcasts have been named for the Brisbane City and Queensland Country and James Slipper for the Country and Carmichael and Quaid for Brisbane City. So they're finally getting a little bit more sort of 
to do more than just playing for club rugby, playing for Souths every weekend? It sounds like Rugby Australia actually pushed that on a bit. Like the, I read an article saying that they, they were going to be left out and then Rugby Australia came in and said, no, you're going to, you're going to make well, use of these guys. I think basically because they're centrally contracted players with Rugby Australia, then they're obliged to be included in a, in a squad for the NRC. So, yeah, you're right. They, they would have actually said, look, they have to be there in, in some capacity. How much they feature, I think Quaid will probably feature quite heavily. I want to see Carmichael come back. I want him to see him playing again because he's he's got a lot of talent. I think he's still got a lot to offer. Um, mate, wouldn't it be nice to see him go down and play inside centre for the Brumbies or something? Like, that would be just – that would really, I think, lift lift the Brumbies' back line, having a guy like that come back. I just don't think he's necessarily going to get that opportunity. I don't know who's going to be willing to take a punt on him. So – but now it might just be NRC and then trying to get to Europe or Japan or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he's quite in the right mindset to uh, take on something like that. It doesn't seem like either of them are really in the right mindset for that. But first round of the NRC starts uh, Saturday, September 1st. Uh, two games that day. You have the grand final rematch with Queensland Country versus the Canberra Vikings on uh, out of Canberra, as well as the Fiji Drew versus Melbourne Rising, uh, and that's happening in uh, Suva, I believe. So some good sort of games starting off, not this weekend, but the weekend after when we have a buy in the Rugby Championship. So get down to Suva, everyone. <laughs> get on that the Fiji team. <laughs> I hope we've got Jeez. some Fiji listeners, and I'm sure they'll pack out Suva. I don't don't think we do, but you know. Let's just try and get the word out because I mean the Drua, mate. The Drua, like, who knows? They could they could win it. They're just that type of team. If they they probably got they came on the know, scene last year Eto and just started beating everyone. Is that a need Eto but Nabuli to come play for them? I think he's gone to what? He's gone to France now or something. It's yeah, ridiculous. Think... Guys like that are still getting work. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're <laughs> you're trying to bring uh, support to Fiji and then you just go and. Berate one of the Australian and Fijians Wallabies players. Mate, look, I think I don't sure he deserves to be playing in, in France and getting paid hundreds of thousands of euro. Like I'm happy to see him play for a local team and being give, giving back to the community, but it just seems like these guys don't have to perform that well for their super rugby teams and they'll still get snapped up. I guess that speaks to the quality of super rugby though. Yeah, exactly. That says more about the quality, local quality of rugby in Europe and in France, I think. Yeah, true. Let the Aussies have some euros, Toby. Come on. Same. Euros and pounds for all, not just for you. All the pounds. Give me all the pounds. <laughs> you already got all the pounds. Not those pounds, but... <laughs> well, unfortunately, you cannot take... spend those pounds. You oh. wish you could spend those pounds. <laughs> all right, so this weekend, obviously, Eden Park... All Blacks versus Wallabies, final chance at uh, taking the Bledisloe back, but obviously you need to break a 30-something year stint at Eden Park. That's at 5.30 Australian time. And then Argentina versus South Africa, 5 a.m. on Sunday morning out of Argentina. Hopefully we'll see another sort of competitive game out of them and we'll be able to see what, what we're going to be coming up against in a couple of weeks as well. Final thoughts, boys? Think the Wallabies can do this at Eden Park? No, I give them a 5.2% chance of winning this game. I'll give, I'll give them more than that. I'll give them no. more than that. It's, 
All Blacks, no. all Blacks, all very rarely caught complacent. But uh, look, there's always a chance, and if we get that exciting sort of injection into the back line, if forwards can match it in the scrums and lineouts, we can be we're there in the competition uh, for the first half. There's still just a few minor changes needed, and and we'll be competitive. And then it's just roll of the dice. There's a few 50-50s need to go your way. Anything can happen. If the All Blacks start half the Blues team, we might have a chance. So pessimistic, Toby. I much prefer to stay with Leo's positive outlook approach. But you are in dreary London in the dark, so you're yep. obviously feeling give a little me, bit depressed right now. Give me off the right tour. Team <laughs> <laughs> with those guys. All right, guys, that's it for us today. Thanks for listening to another episode of Running Rugby Podcast. Of course, you can find us at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us a follow, review us, give us five stars, guys. Love hearing from you. Otherwise, follow everything else going on on social media at Running Rugby Podcast at Facebook and Instagram and Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Hopefully, we will see some competitive games this week. I want to see... A lot of excitement coming out of this Wallabies and All Blacks game, and I think that starts with the selection. So listen up, Checker. I hope he's been tuning in, listening to what we got to say. Uh, we're only going to be helping, mate. He's definitely not, but that's okay. That's okay. He's on. He's in Waikiki Island. He's too busy. Yeah, well, maybe Unbaking. that's the reason Wallabies have lost three in a row, because he's not taking enough opinions from us. Checker, to you, to all the fans out there, keep on running. Run. Yeah, but I don't feel old. That's the problem. <laughs> Except after 49 hours. Oh, hangover lasts for two days. No. <laughs>